Welcome to the Wolverine Confidential Podcast. I am Andrew Kahn. I'm Ryan Zook. I'm Aaron McMahon. Football signing day is approaching, and we'll preview Michigan's potential haul. Plus, we recap what went down on the hardwood and ice this past weekend and continue to build towards Michigan's playoff game against Georgia. That and more on Wolverine Confidential. All right, guys, good to be talking to both of you here uh, late Monday morning. Had a lot to talk about, a lot of different sports, so let's get to it. Over the weekend, Saturday night, Michigan defensive end Aiden Hutchinson came in second for the Heisman Trophy Award. Not a surprise to me that Bryce Young, Alabama quarterback, won. And maybe a little surprised that Hutchinson got all the way up to second. I mean, that was that was impressive. Yes, uh, neither of you have a vote as far as I know. No vote here. But no, I'm not surprised either. In fact, I pre-wrote the story assuming he was going to finish second. He very much did. 78 first place votes wasn't even particularly close. Bryce Young had 684 first place votes. But when you add it up between first, second, and third place votes, Aiden took the day. I mean, he had 273 second place votes, beat out Kenny Pickett by a significant amount. Right. And he, he was second place guy. I'm not surprised. I, I think it was well earned. You know, there was some argument that, you know, maybe Will Anderson, you know, Alabama's. Uh, Lyman maybe should have been up there. In fact, he had the third highest number of first place votes among all the candidates. He didn't get an invite to, to New York City. But I, I think when push came to shove at the end of the year, Aiden Hutchinson had so many of those Heisman moments, it earned him the invite. That wasn't even the story of the of the night, though. It was Desmond Howard and Aiden Hutchinson that were the story. Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, was it a story for us? Was it a no. story on MLive.com? Uh, it wasn't a story. But <laughs> listen, it was, yeah, I was at the Michigan basketball game, so I was not watching live. I did it then. <laughs> I write a story. I come home. I write another story. Uh, I watch a basketball game, great college basketball game. And then after that, the Heisman ceremony gets replayed. So just suddenly on my screen, and I see the beginning, which is kind of when this moment you're probably talking about happened. I don't know. I thought Desmond Howard, Robert Griffin III, and Tim Tebow were all, I don't know, they were a little little amped up. Uh, I don't know. It was kind of interesting kind of hosting panel they they did there. And yes, uh, Desmond takes a shot at Ohio State. It's been a long time coming, of course, you know, Michigan fans, and that's what Desmond Howard is, a program alum, probably been waiting for this moment. And uh, he, he jumped on the, the chance. It seemed like it was all in good fun, but I don't know. Stroud didn't really have a smile on his face, but he really didn't when they were talking about things he should have been excited about. So it's hard to tell overall what was going on. I thought I love awkwardness. So for me, I thought it was hilarious. (laughs) Yes. But Hutchinson makes some, makes some history here. I mean, the last defensive player to finish, you know, even in the top two back in 2012, Manti Teo. And, you know, uh, let's be honest, he needed the, you know, added benefit of this fake girlfriend story, I think, to, to get him there. And then you got to go back to 1997, Charles Woodson, who won it, of course, for the last Wolverine, you know, to finish in the top two. And, you know, Woodson's noted as, you know, the only defensive player to win the award, but he did return punts. And I think that's notable. He had, he had a memorable one against Ohio State that year. He had the ball in his hands. Hutchinson never has the ball in his hands. And so there's still really no defensive, true defensive player to ever win this thing. And I'm not sure there ever will be. I, I don't know. It's maybe a whole nother full podcast, but we can get into it here for a minute. If you guys are willing to entertain my little quick spiel here about it, which is it's the most prestigious award, individual award in all of sports. I think the Heisman trophy, you know, you know who these winners are more so than like an MVP, you know, at the professional level, but it's kind of lost some of its luster in this analytical era 
where, you know, suddenly for like the Cy Young Award in baseball, we're not just looking at wins and, you know, we've got all these advanced stats. And yet at the end of the day, it goes to the quarterback on the team who's like in the top five who throws a lot of touchdown passes, right? We haven't like made that jump with the Heisman voting yet. Yeah, I, I generally agree with you. Although when I looked at Bryce Young's stat line this year, I mean, 4,300 yards, 43 yep. touchdowns, four interceptions. I mean, I, I think he certainly deserved it. But I, I generally agree. I think it would take a year where there's a bunch of like above average quarterbacks, running backs, receivers, whatever skill position you want to throw in there. And there has to be that that guy on defense that has just a miraculous year. Like like if Bryce Young had a bad couple of games on the stretch and maybe mm-hmm. Alabama doesn't get in the SEC, doesn't win the SEC championship game, maybe Aiden would have won it or at least had a legitimate chance to win it. But you're right. I think the deck is stacked against defensive players. They're just, they're, there aren't those crazy stat lines that you can get being a quarterback or a running back or a receiver as we've seen in years past. And I think that certainly works against, you know, a player of the caliber Aiden, you know, and then there's, and as I mentioned earlier, there's this argument that maybe Aiden wasn't the best defensive player, you know, in the country, but you know, at the end of the day, he had those highs and moments. He came up big in, in those big games late. And that's, I think what put Bryce, Bryce Young over the top. He just, they won the SEC championship game. He had that comeback drive the opportunities were there for him and he took advantage of them and that's certainly i think the reason why he won yeah it wasn't the year for someone like hutchinson to win when you've got a quarterback at you know the most well-known football program in the country putting up the numbers he did and the team having the season that they did but yeah so i think you're right you kind of need more more a little more parity across the board and then and then you have a, a chance i think since our last podcast jim harbaugh has been named the ap national coach of the year which is interesting. First of all, he's starting to recoup some of this money that he uh, forfeited in, or you know, that he was no longer guaranteed in this restructured uh, contract. Obviously, he's, he's giving this money back to the athletic department anyway, but it's kind of interesting. He kind of bet on himself, if you will, and it's, it's paying off. Also interesting that Mel Tucker is the Big Ten Coach of the Year, and yet Jim Harbaugh wins the National Coach of the Year. One hand, it doesn't make any sense. On the other hand, it kind of makes perfect sense to me because it's like Tucker beat Harbaugh head-to-head they were the team expected to have a worse season, you know, maybe overachieved even more than Michigan. And yet Michigan in their postseason game, you know, the Big Ten championship, they win that, they get to the playoff, like bigger picture. It almost makes more sense that Harbaugh wins national coach of the year. Yeah, Jim Harbaugh collects an additional $75,000 when he coach of the year on top of the bonuses he's already collected. But yeah, it's an interesting discussion to have. I think the Big Ten coach of the year was named before the Big Ten Championship game. And I mm-hmm. think ultimately Michigan winning the the Big Ten Championship, I think, put Jim over the top, especially with the AP voters. Now, keep in mind, the AP voters are a mix of, you know, broadcast and, write, and writers across the country, a group of about 60 of them. I, right. I had a vote in that as well. And I think Michigan ultimately going the distance and getting in the playoff, I think, was what sealed sealed the deal for Jim Harbaugh. You know, and, and I said this in interviews when, when the Big Ten Coach of the Year was was unveiled. It, what, I, I thought Jim should have been up there as well. There were two different two different votes, two different awards for the Coach of the Year, one by the media and one by the coaches. It wouldn't surprise me. I, I thought Jim should have had maybe one of them, but it was close. I mean, Mel Tucker deserves a lot of credit. I mean, he did a, a heck of a turnaround job there in East Lansing. They had a Heisman Trophy caliber coach. And on the flip side, you have Jim Harbaugh, who, again, did a very good job of overhauling things and bringing Michigan from a 2-4 and four team to the Big Ten glory, winning the title and getting the playoff and himself having a Heisman Trophy finalist. So I think it was well-deserved. I mean, he deserves a lot of credit. He made a lot of changes in the offseason. We've, we've detailed a ton. You know, some would say, well, it took him seven years to do it. What took him so long? But 
the coach of the year is, is determined for this year and this year alone. And if you look at Jim Harbaugh's body work from January to you know, whenever the playoff ended last year to now, he deserves a lot of credit. I think that's a good point about the voters, too, because the Big Ten voters, they remember that Michigan State beat Michigan heads up, and they probably knew a little more about the preseason expectations. Nationally, they just see that Michigan makes the Big Ten championship, wins it, gets to the playoff. They're not probably thinking about as much that head-to-head game. Yeah, no, and, and when you look at all, all the candidates for National Coach of the Year, I mean, they, you can make a strong case for really any of them. I mean, I, I can see why it, it would, could it be a very close vote. I mean, Luke Fickle, undefeated season, Mel Tucker, and then Kirby Smart, obviously a dominant defense until mm-hmm. they were exposed against Alabama. And I know Aaron had Pat Narduzzi on, on his ballot when I don't think he finished very high up there, but and then Baylor's Dave, Dave Aranda finished third, and obviously – they had a similar turnaround to, to Michigan. So um not surprised by Harbaugh winning it, but I can definitely see why like the, you can make a case for, for any of the guys. When I did my ballot, I, I looked at like, and you mentioned Andrew expectations, like where this team was projected to be and how they, mm-hmm. how, how much they improved. And, that, and I think that's, I had Jim Harbaugh one on my ballot. I had Mel Tucker two. And then, yeah, I had Pat Narduzzi three. I, I thought his season them winning the, the ACC again, he had a Heisman Trophy finalist as well, was impressive as well. Yeah, David Aranda, I think, is one guy I probably should have maybe put in there. I, I only had three votes, so I couldn't go any, go any higher than three. Um, but he, I think, he finished third. I think you said Ryan, so mm-hmm. like he deserves credit too. Yeah, there's a lot of coaches out there. Luke Fickle never really crossed my mind. Yes, I, I was aware they went <laughs> unbeaten and won the conference, but like they were expected to do that. Like they had a loaded team. That was the expectation. And, you know, they met expectations. So when I went to made my vote, it was kind of more exceeding expectations. And I thought all three, all three coaches, in addition to Randa, you could probably go on the line, a couple other coaches too, who, who uh, beat what they were supposed to do. All right, let's, let's shift gears to, to hoops here. I uh, will go good, bad, uh, ugly, I guess the, <laughs> the women's team, they're starting two and zero in the big 10. So when they resume uh, big 10 play, on New Year's Eve, actually. So they'll have a head start, 2-0. They go to Wisconsin and win, uh, 93-81. And they come home and play Minnesota on Sunday and also win by 12, 73-61. Um, I, was, I was at that game. They had a big second half. Minnesota was actually up four at halftime, but Michigan made a nice little run in the third quarter and then held on. Uh, only made two threes in that game, but they were big. Maddie Nolan in the fourth quarter to kind of, you know, put the game away. So, yeah, in, impressive Impressive performance from Michigan, which is, you know, continuing to figure out its, its rotation and things like that, but, you know, has has a couple of stars to, to lean on. They will play Baylor next, rematch of the Sweet 16 overtime game from last year's NCAA tournament. They'll play at the Mohegan Sun Casino uh, in Connecticut. Been there multiple times, um, <laughs> including for a Michigan basketball game a couple of years ago. Baylor's ranked, uh, I think they were fifth going into to this past week. So that'll be, that'll be a, a challenge for Michigan. It didn't go so well against another top 10 team, you know, earlier this season in Louisville. We'll see how this one goes on a neutral floor. The men, I mean, it's, you know, a, 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 one step forward, two steps back after, you know, a win against Nebraska that we talked about on the last podcast, they stumble at home 75, 65 loss to Minnesota. Just could not defend one-on-one. I mean, Minnesota, they score 75 points, 1.17 points per possession, 27 points from Jamison Battle. You know how many assists Minnesota had in this game? Any guesses? Uh, more than Michigan. They scored 29 field goals, two assists, 
So not more than oh, Michigan. They had wow. two assists, which tells you how they scored their baskets. One on one. Didn't need any sort of fancy plays. Just give the ball to someone and let them beat guys off the dribble. And there was no one culprit, as I as I mentioned in in multiple stories after the game. Like it was it was it was a team effort of not guarding the ball. And yeah, Michigan. Now, now listen, Minnesota might be better than than people think. They're eight and one now. You know, this was not their their first road win. It was their third actually. So fine. It's this hodgepodge roster that you know you don't really know what to expect from them. But but we kind of know what Michigan should be. And it's not this. So they've they've got you know I've got a column up there this morning on MLive.com, kind of dissecting some of the issues. I kind of lean on the quotes from fifth year senior captain Eli Brooks because he's been through it all. He's basically he said this isn't high school, this isn't some other conference, this is the Big Ten. And if you want to parse those words, you know this isn't high school. So freshman, hey, this isn't high school. This isn't some <laughs> other conference. Hey, Devontae Jones, this isn't the Sun Belt. Like. He's not calling guys out by name and he's not he's not pointing fingers, but he's he's kind of pointing to this is the standard that it takes to win at Michigan, to win in the Big Ten. And Michigan isn't meeting it. And there's plenty of returners who aren't meeting it either. And, and a lot of this falls on coaching. You know, you can't have a guy score 20 points one game, the next game, not take a shot. But that's what Brandon Johns did. You know, he and Terrence Williams, the, the stars of the game before combined for zero points. So it's just. They're getting inconsistent play right now, kind of up and down the roster. You know, you go three for 18 from three, it's hard to overcome. And, you know, Hunter Dickinson misses some some easy shots down the stretch, which you're not going not gonna to rip a guy for it, but, you know, he'd like those possessions back. So we'll see. It's a good time, again, to try to figure things out because you don't play for another week, then you play three days later, then you don't play for another week and a half. Like, there's time, you know, the next top, 50 game they really have or top 30 or 40, whatever it is, uh, is Michigan state on January 8th at home. So you got, you got a couple by games, you got a mediocre UCF team. You got a Rutgers team that looked better the last couple games and beat number one at home, but you know, their numbers overall are not good. Uh, that's the next four games over the next four weeks. You got time to try to figure things out at practice and even in games, but I don't know. I think maybe expectations have to change for this team. I was just going to ask you, it's mid December. I know the sample size still isn't great, but is is this what this team is going to be? I mean, you know, who's it? Yogi Berra, it's getting late early or whatever. Like, it's a third of the season, third of the regular season, 10 games. You play only play 31. So, I mean, at some point, you got to say, all right, who are we? So, I think part of that is a three-point shooting. Like, it's okay. 30, just a shade under 34%. That's okay. It's 153 in the country, so about in, in the upper half. But like not elite, but you know, that's okay. I mean, but last year it was much, much better than that. So I don't know. You know, Juwan Howard has proven to be he's the national coach of the year last year. Like I think they're going to he's got a good staff. Like they should be able to figure things out. But I don't know. There there are teams like this every year that look real good on paper and just don't gel, don't have it, whatever that is, and it doesn't work out. So we'll see. It's definitely too early to write off the season. But it's late enough to say, all right, we've got we've got a body of work here that's concerning. Yeah, I, I don't I don't foresee Michigan being uh, double digit favorites against many Big Ten teams the rest of the year like they were against Minnesota. I, th- I think what thirteen and a half point favorites and lose mm-hmm. it by ten at home. Not not good. No. So like like I said, they've got some got some things to uh, to figure out. Let's talk. We're going to get to signing day here, as we promised in the introduction. But let's talk. Let's talk hockey as well. I know they were in action this weekend. 
Yeah, uh, traveled to Ohio State, the final games before winter break, and quite the contrast in outcomes on Friday night. They won 5-2. to two. Coach Mel Pearson said, I mean, that was one of the best, more, most proud games he's ever seen this team play. I mean, they're, they're played shorthanded. They didn't have top overall pick Owen Power. They didn't have Kent Johnson, the number five overall pick. Both those guys are with Team Canada for, for World Juniors. Uh, Thomas Bortolo was not available. Coach Pearson didn't say why he wasn't available, but that's three key guys they were without, but still were able to store three goals late to, to win. One was an empty netter, so impressive little third period by them. And then they kind of laid an egg on, on Saturday night, losing 6-1. to one. Uh, It's a close game in, in the third period, and then things kind of just un, unraveled. Allowed four goals in the third. Goalie Eric Portillo was pulled. So, yeah, it's a little bit of a – Sour taste in their mouths heading into break, but again, they they were shorthanded. So there's going to be ups and downs this season, and like like most teams, they've they've kind of battled through it. But still in first place in the Big Ten, they played two more games than everyone else, so that that could change when when the other teams are still in action uh, this upcoming weekend. But yeah, still pretty good season so far, thirteen and four or fourteen and six. I'm sorry, so still still pretty good. All right. Listen, we've set the table here enough. Let's get into the main topic of the episode, which is National Signing Day. Give me a quick overview, one of you. When is it? Why is it important? How many Michigan players are expected to sign? Then we can get into the nitty gritty. It begins this Wednesday, December 15th. And yeah, like we've seen in the past, I mean, most guys are signing during this early period. Did some locked in earlier. And yeah, it's kind of just been the case. So I expect most of Michigan's class to sign right now. They have 20, uh, 20 commits in the 2022 class. And they're, I just looked today, they're up to a top 10 class out of, out of nowhere. It looks like a lot of their guys just received a, a little bit of a ratings bump in the 24 seven sports composite. So yeah, now they're, now they're number nine nationally um, with 20 commits and there, there could be some fireworks here on, on Wednesday. There's still some, some guys are looking to looking to sign and, and flip. And in some cases, I mean, the a big one is Keon Sab, a four-star top 100 safety from IMG in Florida. He just decommitted from, from Clemson after he visited for the Michigan Ohio state game. Uh, looks like Michigan has a, a good shot at, at landing him. And the big in-state guy is is Deion Walker, four-star defensive tackle out of Detroit Cast Cast Tech. Michigan's looking for bigger bodies up front and to play that that nose tackle position. And I think I mean Deion Walker fits that to a T. A humongous guy inside, and and he's an in-state guy too that Michigan need, needs to land. But it's looking like they have a pretty good shot. Seven of eight crystal balls are are in his favor, and then. Just recently, it's looking like Michigan might get a, another uh, top 100 defensive lineman in Derek Moore out of St. St. Francis Academy in, in Baltimore. If you remember, that's that's where Blake Corum went, Nikai Hill Green. And Michigan might have to wiggle. I, there's some NCAA rules with them adding Biff Pogey on staff this year. NCAA rules say that, that you can't recruit from that school in two years before or after that um, when he joins the staff. But I, I think there might be a way around it. And that would be a, a huge tip for Michigan if they're able to, to land him. And then they're in a good position to flip Notre Dame three-star receiver, uh, commit Amarion Walker, number 529 prospect nationally. Michigan needs another receiver in this class, and it looks like they, they could get one in, in Walker. 
They're also a top school for, for Darius Clemens, uh, a four-star receiver from Oregon. He just visited Michigan this past week. Doesn't look like Michigan has a great shot. Oregon, the Ducks still still own most of the crystal ball predictions, but I guess you never know. So a lot to pay attention to here on, on, uh, on signing day. That is in addition to Michigan's 20 already committed prospects. You know, class highlighted right now by, by five-star corner Will Johnson from Groves Point South. He's right now at least their only top 100 player, um, but they've they've got some players there as well. They got a four-star receiver in Tyler Morris and a four-star safety in Zeke Barry, who recently um, joined the the fold from from California. So there's there's some players there, you know. And Michigan had some recruiting news in the last week or so. Um, their div- director of player development, uh, Courtney Morgan, left, resigned. I guess you could say, and went to the went to the University of Washington, joined their football program. So Michigan is currently looking for a new director of player development. It wouldn't surprise me if they're looking around around the area. I've been told uh, by sources that they are certainly targeting Albert Karshna up at Central Michigan. He's got big in-state ties, uh, but there's also been reports that they're looking at two different guys to kind of f- fill that role. So, you know, between Michigan's coaching staff changes in last year and they're winning this year, you know, it, they got, it got them off to a slow start. You know, when you come in, when you change assistance all the time and change scheme and then the X's and O's factor, it plays it plays a factor. You know, players want to see how you play, what the results yield on the field. I think that's one of the reasons why Michigan got off to a slow start from a, from a 2022 perspective. They have picked up momentum here, as, as Ryan has, has noted here. They're already starting to pick up guys for 2023. Um, but, it, you know, it got me thinking, you know, we the last time Michigan really overhauled their recruiting staff was December of 2017. That's when they hired Matt Dudek, who was the Courtney Morgan before Courtney Morgan got here. So that really impacted their, their 2018 recruiting class. And if you go back and look at that recruiting class, it was an interesting one. You know, Michigan ranked 20, 22nd in the country at that point. It wasn't a, at the time, it wasn't considered a great class. It was third in the Big Ten. Um, but if you go down the line there, they, it was similar to this year. They had 20 commits, no five stars, a handful of four stars, and they had their misses. I mean, Mustafa Muhammad, Miles Sims, Joe Milton. There's some names there that you you think, okay, I, I haven't heard these names or these guys didn't play much or didn't play well. But if you go down the line there, it was a sneakily, I think, Overrated class. I mean, Aiden Hutchinson was there. Cam McGrone was there. Underrated, maybe. Uh, excuse me, underrated. Yeah. yeah. Jalen Mayfield was there. Ryan Hayes was in that class. Jamon Green, Taylor Upshaw, Vince Gray, Michael Barrett, Hassan Haskins, Ronnie Bell, Jake Moody. So they're contributors a to a Big Ten championship team right there. Right. 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 A lot, right. A lot of underrated, under-recruited guys who are three stars, low fours who didn't get a lot of recognition at the time, who ended up being solid to very good above average Big Ten players. So, you know, while the the, rate, the rankings right now for the 2022 class aren't, you know, maybe where they should be from, from Michigan's historic perspective, uh, don't sleep on some of these guys. This is going to be interesting to watch the next couple of years. I think given Michigan's on-field success, obviously this season, it's certainly going to give them momentum going into 2023 and, and, and beyond. So I think Michigan has momentum here on the recruiting trail. There's a lot of things working for them. And I'm really curious to see how they finished the deal uh, this week with some of those guys that Ryan mentioned. Yeah, I mean, like Aaron said, and especially this year, the pandemic also had an effect on evaluations of these guys, even for like these uh, recruiting analysts that that go out and watch these guys play and rank them. So you've seen a lot of movement in rankings for these guys during their senior years. I mean, Michigan just had a couple of guys get bumped up to four stars. Colston Loveland, the, the tight end out of Idaho, and then Mason Graham uh, just out of four star too, the defensive lineman from 
California. So they've had a lot of guys fluctuate in the rankings this year. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some diamonds in the rough that Michigan finds that uh, seem to be having strong senior years and are getting that more rec- getting more recognition now as they put more play on on tape. And, yeah, we'll, we'll see. And back to Morgan real quick, losing Courtney Morgan, that could affect a couple. I mean, Michigan has four California commits in this class. Um, obviously, Morden has a, a strong ties to the West Coast. I think the one guy that it could affect it is that Cavante Henry, um, the four-star linebacker from California. I mean, he was really close with Morden, so I, I could definitely see maybe Washington making a push now and trying to flip him. So if there's a guy that you want to look at that could, could potentially go elsewhere, I think Henry Michigan's gonna have to fight to to keep him too as as Michigan tries to flip guys from from elsewhere too. So there's gonna be a lot of news here over the next couple of days and and leading into Wednesday, and we'll see where where this class could end up. I know I said I think I said last week that I don't think it could be a top ten class, but if they get some of these guys, uh, it could very well be a top top ten class. So we'll see. In a while that you know Harbaugh's out there recruiting like during this time where they're still preparing for a very very important game, but just the nature of of college football and the calendar it just it just kind of never never stops you'd still rather be you know maybe not being able to make as many visits as you want or pulled in too many directions because you're still playing because in the end right isn't that going to help you more than anything else the fact that they're in the playoff is a better recruiting tool than some coach who's not who can maybe put in a little more face time with a recruit you nailed it. And Jim has said recently, recruiting is like a second job. And it's it's true. I mean, coaches spend a ton of time looking at tape and evaluating prospects and crisscrossing the country to visit with them like Jim did this week. It's a lot of work. But, you know, if you're able to pull in some big fish, it can help you win some games. And like you said, if you win some games, it helps you pull in some big fish. So There you go. And round and round it goes. All right. Well, stay tuned for continued coverage of National Signing Day and the rest of the Michigan Wolverine sports on MLive.com slash Wolverines. Thanks for listening.